Michael Sonbert and Antonio Vance have held nearly every job in K-12 education. They've coached, trained, and partnered with thousands of teachers and school leaders from over 100 cities and eight countries around the world. They are Skyrocket Educator Training, and these are their informal observations. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Informal Observations with Skyrocket Education. I'm Michael Sombert, the founder of Skyrocket. Here, as always, with the good, the better, the best doctor, Dr. Antonio Vance. Antonio, how you doing, man? Um, well, I'm better now that you said I'm the best, so I'll, I'll absolutely take that. I'm great, man. Feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling good. Uh, you are the best Antonio on this podcast by a mile. <laughs> Um, I need to, before we start, I am, I have a unique situation happening here. Uh, I was supposed to be in Texas for work, but ice storm, interestingly, our guest just, uh, just had an ice storm in, uh, in his city, but there was an ice storm in, uh, in North Texas that caused schools to be closed, uh, which is fine. Stuff happened. So I never went, but right outside the door, about eight feet away, uh, are my three children, my dog, my wife, and my wife's cousin. So um, because we just decided to stay in Philly, we were here for a couple of days. Um, so I want the folks at home to know that you will likely hear some background noise today. I will try and keep it to a minimum. Um, Vance, any Fine. unique situation? Keep it to a minimal. Let's, let's make this a family affair. Just party up, get everybody in here. <laughs> Absolutely. Have everybody introduce themselves. <laughs> um, Vance, we have a really, uh, I think one of the coolest things about our, our work is that we get to meet really interesting people. And I'm not sure that there's anybody more interesting than our guest tonight. His name is Edward Richardson. He's the uh, assistant director of the Northside Schools for Seton Catholic Schools in Milwaukee, and we're going to bring him out in a little bit. He's just uh, such a unique and passionate uh, and really a brilliant uh, educator. Um, and, and, and for our folks at home listening, um, Edward's going to, we're going to share a whole bunch of kind of really cool and unique perspectives that um, uh, Edward has on, on education and life itself. But one thing to note is that Edward doesn't have a cell phone. Um, and that's a real thing. He has no cell phone. He, you can't get in touch with him um, unless you uh, go go find him uh, or you email him, right? But he's not, you know, he's doing his thing during the day. Vance, can you imagine not having a cell phone? Yeah, yeah. I think it would be um, a nightmare. Um, no, it's not. You know, I tell like um, my friends, we sort of do like, you know, in the winter, kind of go away and everyone, like we put our phones away for the entire week and no one can use their phone. So we actually only have one phone around for an emergency. Um, and like the first several hours um, are um, like torment. But then after a while, um, it actually is sort of like, it feels good, you know, after the like phantom, like ringing goes away, like you feel like something's vibrating in your pocket and you're like, is my, in my your pocket. That's your, just your leg twitching, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that thing is real. Um, and, you know, after that, you actually find out how much quality time you miss with folks. So I think it's it's absolutely amazing. I just, yeah, I, I dream of a day. My cousins, uh, you know the musician Ed Sheeran? Are you familiar with him at all? Yes, I am. Yeah, apparently Ed Sheeran hasn't had a cell phone since like 2016 or something like that. 
And my cousins and I were talking about it and they were like, that'd be so awesome, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I, I totally agree. Ed Sheeran also has, I'm sure, somebody who drives to his mansion every single day and says, here's everything that happened. Here's everything you need to know. <laughs> Um, he is he is a money making machine for. It seems like he probably doesn't care about that stuff. Yeah, he seems like he doesn't. I think that he probably has people around him who care enough for him and say, "Ed, yeah. like here's the detail on tonight's show. Yeah, um, yeah, here are sure. the details. Like we're going to go to your wherever you are, your hotel. We're going to. He probably has people twenty four seven trying to figure out how to get information to him." Because he's just probably, he matters like financially to so many different people. Hey, look, before um, in the 1980s, like before then, like people made it work. So look, why not? Yeah, you just called your friend. And if they didn't answer, uh, you just like did something else. Yeah. <laughs> What's, there's no like, where are you at? Texting yes. people, you know? Yeah. My oh. one buddy texts me a question. If I don't get back in 10 minutes, he writes a question mark. Like, <laughs> like he, he's demanding an answer. Yeah. Um, all right, before we get to Edward, uh, three questions for the good Dr. Vance. The first one, do you have any phobias? Is there anything that you are irrationally afraid of? Um, I don't know if it's irrational. Uh, well, maybe it's irrational. It is irrational, yeah. I am not a fan of small spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes elevators um, for mm -hmm. an extended period of time. I do, I yeah. I've been in elevators with you. You've been you've been nervous during those times. Every time. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah. Um, and then I I'm also not partial to heights, oh. so heights in small places is even worse. <laughs> <laughs> so an elevator going to the like 80th floor is pretty terrifying. But yeah, I don't do so. I don't about, do well in um, about, small spaces. What about an airplane? Because that's a small space at an ex a pretty high height. Yep. Normally, I'm fine in airplanes because I trust technology. Um, yeah. But there have been times when um, just the the sheer, like if I've been on a really small plane, um, mm. I'll need a, a few drinks. Got it. Got it. <laughs> like small um, Elevators especially are are troublesome for me. Got it. All right. Um, there are some of the there are hotels that have like the the elevator where it's like all glass and it's on the outside of the yep, building. Yep. Have you ever gone up in one of those? Oh yes. Yep. I can think of a few hotels that, that have those. And I, um, yeah, yep. Absolutely mortified. I got stuck um, in an elevator one time and, and, um, in Cuba. Really? Um, and it was like an elevator from like, it feels like it was the first elevator ever made. Um, and I thought, I literally thought I was going to die. Like I had no doubt that this was it. How long were you in there? How long were you stuck? Like 90 seconds. <laughs> 90 seconds? It was only because of sheer force. I like opened the door. <laughs> like I literally really? broke the door. I made it worse because I had a panic attack and I had like that like inhuman strength. And I'm like. <laughs> but were you at an actual, you were obviously at an actual floor, right? Yeah. Well, it was like in between a floor. Wow. So this, so I'm not, I don't get anxious in elevators, but I do have the thought, I, I have this like recurring thought of being stopped in an elevator and doing exactly what you're describing, which is forcing yep. the door open. And you see almost at eye level, the, 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 the floor, 
right? The ground for the floor you're trying to get up to. So you start to yep. climb up and um, you start to climb up and like wriggle your way through and the elevator goes yep. down and splits you in half. Have you ever had that thought? Well, well, now I will, Michael. <laughs> no, I had it. But thank you for, for adding that I came to my back nightmare when I, list. <laughs> when I was living in Philly, I came back from a bachelor party. This is years ago. I came back from a bachelor party so hungover and probably still drunk from the night before and uh, got up, uh, got in the elevator, got up to the apartment and just came in and, and laid down on the couch. It was just pre-kids, pre-everything. But it turned out that the next elevator, like literally the people I was waiting in the lobby with, like I got on my elevator and then there were too many of us. So then other people got on the next elevator. They got stuck in that elevator for like six hours. And all I'm thinking is like, if I was 20 seconds late, I would have had the worst hangover of all time for six hours in this elevator. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what I, what I would have done. My, um, my, I don't, I don't know if it's a phobia, but I am not into snakes at all. They, um, I can't like, uh, I think that there are snakes under my bed when I go to a hotel, I do that thing where you kick, you know how like most hotel beds, have the like the there's the like bottom like, I don't know what, yeah. what it is like it's a, not a box spring but it's like a a hard kind of case around the bottom so there's yeah. nothing underneath like I make sure that that's there because if there's not I'm down on my hands and knees I'm looking for snakes because I think that somebody's put snakes in my room um you I do this now as an adult as an adult I think there are snakes in the toilet sometimes um oh. I uh I remember the first time I was in Texas years ago, there was a sign that said, this watch, watch for, you're writing this down. Yes. It said, beware of rattlesnakes. My sister and I on a cross country trip got lost in the middle of a, of a nature preserve. And there were bison and uh, some sort of uh, cat, like mountain lions and all these like animals that could shred you to pieces in two seconds. But, the only thing I was freaked out about were the that there were rattlesnakes. And I was looking down the whole time. She's like, look for bison. Look for like mountain lions. I'm like, I'm looking for snakes. Um, I am not into snakes at all. But you but it's but your fear. I mean, well, have you ever encountered a snake in your hotel room? No, 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 oh. no, I have not. I have not. I have okay. Not. All right, we'll, um, we'll talk. I have about this vision oh. that this, like the previous guest, like you ever see snakes on a plane? You know that movie? Yes. Yeah, I have a vision that the previous guest left snakes for whoever the next guest was. Got it. All right, we'll, we'll definitely talk about this offline. Vance, what's something you learned since the last time we were together, man? Hmm. So I took on the task of thinking about um, your recurring questions around my like or dislike of music. So then I was thinking, why do people like music? Like, what is the like, what's the, what's the thing? Like, because most people love music, like they, like it's, it, it, they center their, like, it's just really important part of their life. Love it, love it, love it. And I'm just sort of like, why? Like we, as humans, like things that we like are normally things that like help us survive or, like, you know, have been, you know, through evolution, like evolutionarily have like been a part of like human development and music just doesn't, 
fit into that. It doesn't mm-hmm. like help us survive. So I was like, why, why do we do? And so interestingly enough, um, and I, I, I knew this, like the music stimulates the part of your brain. It causes dopamine to get released. It's the same exact part of your brain that gets stimulated when you eat um, and things It's part of the reward center. Mm. And that's all great. But it over like, it doesn't like help you survive um, like eating does. So interestingly, um, I was, I read a few like pretty nerdy articles and the primary reason why um, people, humans like music is because of patterns and your brain's desire to find patterns, to hear patterns, to recognize and predict patterns. And that is why over time, um, humans have really sort of like latched on to um, on on to, to music. And I find that interesting because I know that folks like patterns and I know that like, and part of it is the reason why like some people don't like, you know, jazz music or yeah. heavy metal and why people like culturally, like if you grew up in with certain music and you recognize certain patterns, you like that sort of certain music. So for example, I probably would not listen to or enjoy um, a round of heavy metal. Um, I don't even know if heavy metal has patterns in it. I'm sure it does. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> um, but music I listen to has a clear pattern. Um, uh, so I thought it was really interesting. Um, so it was a few great, few really interesting articles out around just sort of, and it just kind of made things interesting as to why people like certain types of music, don't like certain types of music. And it's pretty interesting. I learned that. It's fascinating. Uh, I, I, I had no idea about that. Um, but but you're right. I mean, as uh, and heavy metal does have patterns. How dare you besmirch? Really? I, I mean, listen. There's no smirch. I just, I don't know anything about heavy metal except for it's heavy and sounds like metal grinding or something. But it, but it's interesting to me because I, I, I do like music quite a bit, but there are, I mean, music is a, is a formula. Uh, and yeah. as somebody who's written a few, I mean, it's, it's for almost every single song is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out, right? So like it's, you know, A, B, A, B, C, B, song ends. Uh, and I, no, it's a, the, the <laughs> verse sure, is called, sure. is the A part, okay, <laughs> right? But, but there are songs, so for instance, like the band Rush, they have a lot of songs that don't follow that format there are there are bands um uh there's a band i i can't even think what they're called i don't think anybody would know them but they're just like they're called like progressive um rock there's a band called dillinger uh, dillinger escape plan that is like a a you know kind of like a, a a hardcore band that doesn't follow the pattern and i find it i find it unlistenable um regardless of what the i'm not i'm not a jazz fan i don't like it um, because it doesn't have a pattern. <laughs> yeah, and I don't like jam bands. I know a lot of people do, but like, yeah. like when the solo is going on for like nine minutes, and it's just like everyone's like dancing. I'm like, what is happening? Get to the next part. Um, and that's really, really interesting. And I think it probably explains why you can remember every single lyric to every single one of your favorite songs, yeah. but to remember like the Gettysburg ad- uh, Address or something like that would be a, a huge undertaking for most people, but you can remember, and I can hear songs from the mid eighties now and sing every, uh, songs I haven't heard in 20 plus years 
maybe longer and I know every single word, right? And it's probably because the patterns, the vocal pattern, the melody, obviously, um, and the different changes in the song uh, remind me, right? That is probably right. So we've solved the mystery. Um, but you don't like music any more than you did before you found this out, right? No, I mean, like, I like some, like, I like, I, I, I don't dislike music. I'm just not a, like, I'm just not a, fa I don't, I'm not obsessed, but I do like m music sometimes. But um, now I know that the music I do like are mu is like music that has clear patterns and that yeah. I thought really resonated with me. I love it. Um, mine's, mine's, uh, real quick, but somebody posted on uh, Twitter today, um, or maybe it was yesterday, but, uh, somebody posted about their boss and I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, Hey, don't call an hour long meeting so you can brainstorm out loud with witnesses. Uh, and what she's referring to is like, Hey, and, and so like, I'm following the whole thread and she goes on and people are chiming in and it's like. They're talking about meetings that have no agendas, meetings where the boss has no idea what they're trying to accomplish, but basically gathers the whole team and is like, yeah, just kind of like thinking out loud. And yep. um, and the, the, the consensus was these meetings waste our time. They're unfair. They're boring. Um, they are, they're taking us away from the most important work. And to, to this person, I agree, I agree with every single piece of this, right? We talk at Skyrocket about meetings that having meetings that matter. We talk about in the negative, like the meetings to nowhere. We talk about the, the meeting before the meeting. So like we get everybody together and we spend an hour realizing that we need to then have a meeting to do the thing that we could have done if we did pre-work before the first meeting, right? So I couldn't agree more. But here's the thing I wanted to talk about is that I'm following the thread and all these people are saying the same thing. Like my boss X and I can't say anything. My yeah. boss, why? And like, I'll never be able to tell them. Just this consensus among all these people who are amongst themselves. I'm assuming most of these people don't know each other. because I don't know. I mean, maybe they know each other on Twitter. Maybe they know each other personally. I don't know. But like all these people from all over are saying the same thing about their bosses. And there's almost a consensus around. And I can't tell the person. Yeah. And nobody really goes into why, but I'm assuming it's why people tell us, which is like, they're not open to feedback. Yeah. I'll get in trouble. They'll retaliate against me. I, I, I love that word retaliation when people bring it up. It, it blows my mind that that's a thing. Yeah. That that's a thing. I, I'm like, I just, you know, I didn't learn this, but it's like, man, I'm just reminded of how many people are inside and outside of education and leaders. You're not getting all the feedback that your team has for you ask for more of it and, yes. and, and yep. teams like give your leader the feedback. And if the space is not created to do it, ask them to create the space. And if they won't, I don't know if you're in the right job, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I don't know if you're in the right place. If you can't tell your boss, Hey, I got to tell you your meetings, like they, they feel like a waste of time. Um, yeah. uh, and even if you don't say it like that, like, Hey, I think our meetings can be more impactful. I think they can be Absolutely. more agenda driven. I think we can get more accomplished. And here's, Here's what I'd love you to think about. Are you open to that? I can help you with it. Like, I can't believe that that's not a thing. I really, I really can't. I mean, I feel like I was maybe my like first year of, of, of being a school leader. I probably was that boss that would have meetings that were not pointed and not yeah. going places. And it took somebody to give me feedback and I'm not a retaliatory boss or, 
Um, you know, that that's not my demeanor or how I operate. So I appreciate it. Um, and they were right. Like, where are my agendas? What is the point of this? And what can be emailed? What can be handled in smaller work groups? Um, yeah, and you're right. If you're in a place where you're not able to give that type of feedback, then you should call call us. We'll help you. Quickly, man, because we got to get Edward out here. Yes. One sentence. Are you having a drink? I am having a drink. It's wine. My neighbor bought it for me, and it's amazing. I am doing, I am feeling super dehydrated, so I actually poured vodka in my Pedialyte. Do you see this? I have I Pedialyte it. here. It's basically like supercharged Gatorade, and I have vodka in it because I'm feeling super dehydrated. I've eaten more salty food over the last week than in probably the last year. Um, and so I'm hydrating while I'm also having a cocktail. What flavor um, of Pedialyte is that? This is berry frost. Now it has natural and artificial flavors according to the label. I think that it probably has 1% natural, 99% artificial, but that's a conversation for a different day. I am excited to bring out our guest. Um, as I mentioned, he is a um, he is the assistant uh, director of the Northside Schools for Seton Catholic Schools in Milwaukee, um, an incredibly interesting and passionate educator. His name is Edward Richardson. Edward, welcome to Informal Observations. Thanks for being here. How are you doing? Man, I am fantastic. Thank you all so much for having me. So excited. Edward, um, before we start, and yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Are you having a cocktail with us tonight? I am not because I'm still at the gig. So I, I have this, uh, this is this uh, tremendous jug of water my wife bought. It's, uh, it's a gallon and it has the labels on it. And uh, for the first couple of weeks, I tried to actually do a gallon a day. And um, I don't know who came up with that fallacy that we should be <laughs> drinking that much, but it is ridiculous. I couldn't make it through a day, a night of sleep. You had to go to the bathroom at, at 11.30 and at 2 a.m. And you're, <laughs> there's no way that you could be a teacher and drink like this because you're, you're going to have to go all the time. Like you got a kind of a prostate issue or something going on. So, yeah. Edward, so to your point, uh, and by the way, wise decision not to be drinking while you're, at, while you're still at work. Um, I do drink a gallon of water every day, but I front load it. So I'm usually done with the gallon by, by 2 or 3 p.m. Um, and, uh, so I don't have to go to the bathroom during the night, but I almost too, too much information. I almost pee my pants five times a day. Um, and I'm like racing to the bathroom and schools. Like, where's the bathroom again? I'm like, where's it right down? So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll meet you guys in the classroom. I'll, I race to the bathroom because I'm like, because that's how much water I'm drinking, uh, early on. But I see that you have quite a bit of work to do on that, on that jug, my friends. Yes. So, uh, please yes. uh, yes, chug away as we're working. Hey, Edward, um, you're the assistant director for Northside Schools in Milwaukee for Seton Catholic Schools. Um, can you just tell our listeners, what does that job entail uh, and why is it important to you? All right. So I, I, this is what I think when I was uh, prepping for this job is like, what what could I bring to the table that's going to differentiate? And I came across an article about the Negro and the Catholic Church and what they said, the Catholic Church has an opportunity to invest people, time, and resources in the well-being. This was 1924, in the well-being of African-American. They called them free slaves. And so 
that's what I think I bring to the table, investing people, time, and resources into the good people of the north side of Milwaukee, where I not only are concerned about their academic uh, growth, but I'm also uh, concerned about their spiritual growth and just their social emotional growth. And not only just the child, I know that it's a family. And so if somebody, if mom and dad aren't doing well, well, that child's not going to do well. So sometimes I, my reach has to go into that household. And if they will allow me and if they trust me to present some resources to that will benefit that household. And if it benefits that household, it's going to benefit that child. And so it's kind of this whole, this 360 approach to fostering the uh, fostering academic as well as social emotional development in the uh, young people that we serve. Edward, that's, um, that's interesting. And it leads me to a, a, a follow-up. Um, can you just tell our, our listeners, describe the north side of Milwaukee, because it's a really uh, unique, a unique place. And, and what are people, and I think you got there a little bit with the, the, the connecting with families as well, and the, mm-hmm. the whole child and the whole unit. But what are people missing? Like, what's going on in the north side of Milwaukee? And then what are people missing about educating kids on Milwaukee's north side? And this is what I would say. I, I did not step foot in Milwaukee till I was 28 years old. All right. So I, I, I'm not a native and I've lived in several parts of the country. Uh, I, I came here in 2000 and I, it was something to behold. I've never seen stark lines between uh, affluence and poverty. Like I saw when I entered Milwaukee, there there is a book uh, that was written several years ago and talked about Milwaukee as the Selma of the North. Mm-hmm. And so that gives you perspective of the segregation and the under-resourcing, especially in Black Milwaukee, which is the north side. So Milwaukee, it's pretty segregated north side you have mostly people of african descent uh south side you would have uh white enclaves and uh people of uh latino uh descent and so that's that's what we have in on the north side but you have beautiful people and you have grassroots organizations that are have been working for years to build up the people and build up the community and so that's why it, it, it's so important to me that I, I know we are meant for better things and we're meant for greater things. And it's my job. I, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to school and to receive an education. So now it is my job to pay it forward to help people because I was helped. There's a lot of people that made a lot of sacrifices for me to be here today. And I don't forget that. And I know that if things would be different, I wouldn't be here. And so I don't know who's going to be the next doctor, who's going to be next lawyer, who's going to be the uh, next politician. But I know that I have a wealth of hungry young people who are eager and 
willing and want to learn. And so I can't deny him. And I, I have to uh, do whatever it is within the law to make sure I get them what they need to be successful. Amazing. Amazing. Super inspiring. Thanks, Edward. I, I found it interesting. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, spirituality and, you know, you, you're obviously passionate um, and you care deeply about um, advancing students of color and of African descent mm-hmm. academically and socially. Um, how, do you, how do you balance that and work in, and, and how do these pieces work together with also, um, you know, advancing them spiritually and, and thinking about their spirituality? Well, I, I, I would like to fancy myself as a revolutionary, mm. <laughs> you know, for the most part. And Jesus was a revolutionary, right? Jesus was rebel. He revolted. He cut across the grain. He was walking with the prostitutes and the lepers in the street while other people shunned them. And so mm. you bring that spirit to it, that revolutionary spirit of I want to truly not school these people, but educate them. And schooling is that they accept their position in uh, the uh, social economic strata. I want to educate them where they are able to transcend maybe where you think that they should be based on their area code and based on their parents' household income where they can traverse that terrain and go where they want to go and make their own decisions. And so the, the spirit comes from the, just your, my uh, Christian upbringing and some of my more spiritual Afrocentric beliefs mm-hmm. of, uh, for example, Ubuntu, uh, the concept that I am because we are, we are, therefore I am. So again, I know that people have marched, fought, and died for this opportunity for me and you, Dr. Vance, to be here. And so with that idea in mind, that's the energy, that's the um, effort that I go to do this. And you can, you can connect because it has to be, it can't just be piss and vinegar. Right. It it just can't be because I want to. What is undergirding all this? Well, it's spiritual belief. It's this Christian belief that you love your brother, you love your neighbor like you love yourself. And they are meant for more, just like you are meant for more. And so that that is the that is the concept that that uh, uh, revolves around in my mind. That gives me energy. Every day. I think you have a topic that oh, Michael, we have to talk about, which yeah, is yeah, schooling versus education. Like that is, like, I, I had to write it down because that is something, I mean, Michael, we, we talk about it often offline, but um, we, we will be having you back on that topic because that's a whole nother, we can't do that now. But right, right, right. <laughs> that was, I, I love it. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Vance. Thanks, uh, Edward. Um, let's go. Let's go deeper on the on the spiritual piece, on the Catholic piece. I, I at the risk of angering, you know, hundreds of our listeners. Um, it seems to me, from 
visiting a lot of schools, a lot of Catholic schools, that the, the Catholic part is often the least tended to, um, that they are uh, afterthoughts. Um, and, uh, and have you seen this? Um, is the, am I totally off on this? Um, do you, as somebody, you work at a handful of schools, but you've been around education for a long time. Are people getting the Catholic part right? Um, or is it like, hey, here's a school, and we're also, um, you know, we do Catholic Schools Week, and we say a prayer each morning, um, and we have a religion class that's not really great, um, but beyond that, we don't do much. I think where we're going with this, is, and I can only speak as far as Seton, that they're trying to break new ground with this. I, I think it's a, it's a balancing act that you are a Catholic school built on Catholic principles, but at, at least uh, on the north side, you know, the majority of your uh, students are not Catholic. So then you, you're trying to match your faith and make it work for the young people who you are in charge of, of educating. And so we, we do the prayers. Uh, we have the mass or the religious service. Uh, we have the, um, the, uh, the religion class, but they are trying to make some innovative steps as far as basically, well, for lack of a better term, getting a uh, Catholic aficionado in every school. So there, this person who is who, who has a very firm grasp of their Catholic faith is able to look with a critical eye at what is going out to the young people in our charge and to make sure that it is representative of what they believe Catholicism truly represents. Now, I, I, I'm saying all this not being a Catholic, but I can also give a perspective because my youngest daughter is a senior at a Catholic school who has gone to Catholic school since K-4. And mm -hmm. so then now I'm on the other side of that as a parent. And I, what we want, we definitely want that, and by we, I meant my wife, because she says she's going to Catholic school. And I was like, okay, she's going to Catholic school. Because <laughs> uh, she man. went to Catholic school. <laughs> so, and I was like, I had to get accustomed to paying tuition for a five-year-old, which is, again, that's another whole conversation. <laughs> but uh, we wanted that religious, we want the, those values. And so that's what I think. And, and those values transcend denomination and beliefs. You know, right is right and wrong is wrong. And love is love no matter what. You, no matter what you what denomination you are okay and i think that's the piece of it there seton has seen that okay they might have kind of uh fallen asleep at the wheel with that that catholic identity but that has to be fleshed out and i think they're moving in a way that it's going to balance who you're working with in 2022 as opposed to what it looked like 
in 1970 when, let's be honest, in most of these Catholic schools, I know the ones in in this city because we have the uh, pictures on the wall, uh, that student body looks totally different. And, and, and from where yeah. they came from and their affiliation, they were part of that parish, it's totally different. So I think that adjustment has to be made. Yeah, and I, I think... Um... And to be clear, I think that you all at Seton do this better than, than most. Uh, and I, I hear your your reflection about places where you all can do better. And that, and that makes sense to me. But, you you know, you have somebody whose sole job is to run lead on. I mean, the person does multiple things, but they are they, you have somebody who runs lead on um, on building kind of Catholic identity and Catholic mm-hmm. curriculum across the across the schools and make sure that. Um, you know, uh, from mass to Catholic schools week, that those things are, are, are done well. I guess my point is, and I don't, uh, the thing you said about love is love and faith is faith. And I, I forget exactly what you said. I guess that's the thing I don't see in most Catholic schools. I, Statue of Christ when we walk in mm-hmm. and I see the, I see, um, you know, the uh, pictures on the wall of mm-hmm. the, the pastor, father, you know, sister, like I, I see that stuff. I hear the prayer in the morning. Um, maybe there's a mass, um, but I hear the prayer in the morning. And then I, I, I hear almost nothing about the things that mentioned. Um, and take that for what it's worth. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I think that there's a place for there to embed these things. I'm hearing almost something we're going to, talk about um, character ed and like values education on, a, on an upcoming episode, but there's almost like a, you know, who we are, who we believe we are, how do we act piece that I think is, I think is missing in a lot of, in a lot of faith-based schools. So we're talking Catholic, but we work with lots of faith-based schools. And I, I think that that's a place for folks to push. That's fair. That, that, yeah. that is a fair point. Absolutely. And Michael, I mean, even in, you know, and I recently have had the opportunity to to work um, much, much more closer in um, faith based schools. And I've actually had this conversation um, with a, a, a current leader around, like, how do we set goals around Catholic identity and some of the things that we came up with, um, which are, you know, exactly what you just mentioned, like, even if you're, you don't identify as a Catholic, what are the, what, what identities do you have that resonate with, with those beliefs? And, and so like one of their values is really around love and like, obviously like measuring love and like setting that as a goal and like measuring that is, is a whole nother thing. But I, I, I love your point around, we can find and schools can find those things that resonate that you can't really talk about um, in other in, in other schools, and I mean that really leads to one of my to my next question. You know, I this is my first opportunity to really, you know, in the last few years to really dive into faith based schools, and you know, you are um, a rarity. You have worked in public schools, you've worked in charter schools and faith based schools, and I'm curious. Um, I mean, I've had some observations, but you know, what are some similarities you've seen? What are some differences that you've seen um, as you've, you know, traversed these different um, type of organizations, you know, charter faith-based and public schools? There's definitely some shocks for me 
Um, and I'm curious, you know, what, what perspectives have you had? So the, the, the one thing, the easy, the low hanging fruit is they're good people throughout. I, I, I've met some outstanding educators and I'm, I'm critical of who I think is actually a quality educator and, and who is a teacher. And uh, I've seen some uh, outstanding educators in all three. So the similarities to, it's not that many similarities, I think, when you're talking about all three of them. Uh, yeah. It's just the, the love for the school, but the approach, is different so i the the differences i would say are with the uh faith-based schools number one you're taking that whole child approach and you're not only i, I remember one principal uh, who I'm, I'm very fond of, and, and it's the first time i ever heard a principal and this is as a i i'm as a parent at this point sitting in the church and he said you know it it takes it's the school it's your child and it's yourself it, it takes all three to uh make this thing work and i just never heard and, and i'm sure principals have said that i just never heard before and the prayer and the the uh, faith-based schools tend to be smaller, and so you have a you have a more of an opportunity to get to know the get to know the families, and so and then you'll have generations coming through as well that the parents have sent their child to the school. We in a couple, we don't have too many left, but we do have a couple where we have that situation. And so, and, and that's the, I think the big thing about the faith-based schools, just besides able to talk about God and spirituality and, um, and prayer. Yeah. Um, the charter schools are, my experience in the charter schools, it's really, uh, it's 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 the bottom line test scores test scores test scores test scores and, and my mm -hmm. focus and and that's where i really my 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 time in the charter schools is where i think i really honed my skills as an educator because you just simply had to the charter school was ran at, at this early venture this particular charter school was ran like a business uh, that low that low performing 10% was gone at the end of the year. And it was mm -hmm. like, no, we, you know, and, and I don't know if that was at, at the time I, I hated it. Uh, but I don't know that that's that bad of an idea <laughs> to be, you got to hold these people accountable. It's like, okay, if you, I'm giving you a year, what are you producing? And so and that first time I went to that charter school, I, I mean, I was on eggshells because I'm seeing people drop left and right uh, because they weren't cutting it. In and they were just like, this is this is the bar. Either you meet it or we'll get somebody else. So that's my experience with the charter schools. You, um, you, 
Go ahead. So you made me think of something as you're, you're talking, like, is there a place, is there a world where there's that, like, super high accountability bar, the super high academic, like, rigor, all of the stuff that you talked about in, like, this charter world, and is there a world where that can be married and coupled to some of the faith-based practices, things that I've seen that really do approach the whole child? And I mean, I've seen lots of schools, but the things that you mentioned, I mean, I was in a, in a school the other day and something happened with a student and the teacher was like, let's pray about it. Let's, let's sit down and we're going to pray. We're going to like, of course, I mean, that would never happen in public school. It wouldn't right. happen. In a, right. I mean, it may happen depending on a relationship, right? But it was the norm. And so like that, I was inspired by that because it was something I hadn't seen before um, where, you know, this, this compassion from the teacher was like, Hey, let's pray about this. Let's, let, let's really think about it. Let's, let's like, and there, there was this aspect of it. And then like, how do we marry? Like, is there a world where both those can exist? And, and what would that look like? I, I think there, I think there is where you you can you can have that high academic rigor and you can have like you said you can have that social religious piece where you understand yes your goal is to educate mm. this this body but before you can even educate you got to start this process of healing of some of this trauma, because you can't even, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you, you're working food, clothing, shelter, and then safety. And so you, you got to work your way up that pyramid before you can even get to the point where you are, you are secure, and you're, you're, you're safe enough that you can now, okay, now I can actually start focusing mm-hmm. on this education. Um, it, it's, it's, I, it, yes. I mean, we, we can do whatever we want. You know, now do do we have the we have the skill, Dr. Vance? I, I, I truly believe there are great minds out there. I'm, I'm talking to two of them. It's now it's the will. You yeah. know, how how do we really want because that it takes time. It's so much easier when a kid messes up suspension. Boom. Gone. That healing. And that making that child whole after that child has had a misstep, that's time and energy. Now, and then that runs counter to my experience as a charter school where we need these results now. And it's like, well, if we're healing, there is no time frame on healing. And we can't give up on this child. And maybe this child is not giving us the returns that we want to see, but we're not in this for the 100 meter dash we're talking about the marathon of life Mm. and where are we going to be and i've been in this game long enough where kids i absolutely thought we're not going to make it and you see them my the kid that i i have uh i still have a um uh relationship with uh is 33 years old now Mm. i just showed you how old i am but anyway so, so, but this kid, I mean, he was a good kid, but we were in a rough place and he was making some decisions. And just to see, sometimes you see these kids on Facebook and they're just alive and they got families, man. It just kind of makes you fall on your knees because it was like, I didn't, I, the odds were not in this, their favor. But again, 
if 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 all we're gonna focus on if a school is successful is those test scores, that's not gonna happen. You know, that's Edward. Yes, sir. uh, Have you ever thought about starting your own school, standalone school, just Richardson Academy, call it whatever, (laughs) Northside Academy? Have you ever thought about starting your own school? I have. I I I I. My struggle is confidence. My wife is like, you can do this. You can do this. Yeah. Michael, I was thinking the same thing, right? <laughs> I mean, it's right there, right? I mean, this yeah. is, and your current, your current bosses are going to kill me next time I see them. But, um, yes, they will. <laughs> this, is right, this is right there, man. There's no, there's not, you can't, I mean, you can't hide from what's happening right now. You gotta, you gotta, at some point, you gotta do something now oh um, because uh, you need to be, you need to, the, the, your ideas are, are so unique and so smart. Uh, I mean, they're, they shouldn't be unique, but they are right. And they're so, they're just so good. Um, anyway, go, I, I, Vance, you have a question about that confidence piece, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, as you were, yeah, I was, I was thinking about, you know, you shared um, that you've had some anxiety around like coaching and, and, mm-hmm. and, and just like coaching others. And, you know, that's an emotion that I'm sure folks that are listening, I, I've had that. And well, I have it all the time when I'm playing tennis and mm-hmm. someone new joins and, you know, I'm like, Oh, I got to show you the ropes. But I'm like, eh, am I even like, who am I to show you the ropes? Um, or, you know, any type of coaching. Um, can you, you know, what, what is the root of this? What causes this? And how do we get past this, this sort of anxiety? Well, I can speak to my anxiety. My anxiety is feedback was never positive. Mm. Feedback was to tear you down. Feedback was to demoralize or shame you, embarrass you. So then, and I'm a people pleaser by nature. So when I was first faced with this idea of becoming an administrator and having to give feedback, I bruseled at that. It was like, I don't want to make anybody feel bad because I'm reflecting upon my own experience. Mm-hmm. And so, and plus the confidence, my, I, I, I struggle with my confidence uh, to this very day. I, I, I struggle with the confidence. And so, uh, that feeds into and what and then you, you got that negative talk going on. Whatever, you're not good enough. Who, who are you to tell this person what they could be doing better? Blah 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 blah. And so that's where I was at it, to the point where uh, with one of the people that uh, Michael knows, uh, we were a part of the administrative team early. And uh, I disliked, it was so anxious and I disliked it so much. I said, I'm going back to the classroom. And I was in the classroom for another 10 years before I got back into administration because I just didn't want to deal. This is a hard job. We're doing the best. This is my public school mindset, union idea. We're all pulling the same way. We're all uh, pulling on that rope. I don't want to tell somebody else what they're doing wrong because we need each other. And so the way I got over it, my wife introduced this concept of executive and leadership coaching. And I was like, 
okay, my coach in the sports related. So what is that? Well, they kind of just talk to you. I was like, how's that coaching? It's not coaching. That's therapy. But she's like, it's, (laughs) it's, it's coaching. And it was like, okay. It's like, they're volunteering. They're looking for a volunteer. And, uh, you say, are you willing? I said, yeah, because I knew what I was going to do. Now, they had no pre-work, okay? They're coming to you cold. You don't know them. They don't know you. But I guess they're just trained to ask these questions. And as long as you're willing to be vulnerable, truthful, you'll get it. And so this young lady is just asking me, so where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? Why do you think that is? And then I, I'm able to, it's like, okay, my issue with my anxiety with coaching is based on my experiences. My early, not has nothing to do with education. It's football. Mm. It's cleaning up the house. It's mowing the grass. <laughs> that, that's the feedback that's in my mind that, you didn't do this. You didn't do Richardson. What you missed that block, whatever. And so, and remember how bad I felt. And then, mm. so I was like, okay, so this is this is me. This is I'm projecting. And I remember one thing that you said, uh, uh, Somber, and I, I, I'll mm. never forget it. And you were talking about no matter who you are, everybody has a coach. And you brought up Tiger Woods. And, and, and so it's like Tiger Woods, it, it, and, you, and what you said is just because you can't do what that person can do doesn't mean that you can't coach him. And then I was thinking of Tiger Woods' swing coach for years was Butch Harmon. And Butch mm-hmm. Harmon wasn't going to go out there and win uh, majors, but Butch mm-hmm. Harmon was able, and Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer forever, uh, you know, the Golden Bear depends, uh, was <laughs> the – was using this man as a coach to help him get to the heights that he would, uh, that he would attain who couldn't do what he did. And so then that put it in a whole different perspective for, to me as well. So it doesn't, it can make you better. It's not to tear you down. And I still have to go through that, that regimen. I'm not here to tear her down or him down. I'm here to make them better. They're going to be okay. I'm the one that's anxious and they're not anxious. It's like, and then I give this, I give, it's like, okay, so how about if we do this and this? Oh, okay. And then I'm like, that's it. You're not going to fight back. You're not going to get upset. So Mm. it's the, it's the, it's the movie that I'm playing in my head. I, uh, I just, by the way, I mean, this is so great. I want to just, I think we should talk to you for, three hours because so unbelievably honest and reflective. Um, I just, I just want to talk about the confidence piece for a second because um, that everybody, everybody has that. Right. I mean, like, I, I'm not telling you this, you, you all know this. I right. mean, I, I mean, Edward, I land in city X or city Y or city Z and I've got people waiting for me to come talk to them. I, my initial inclination is to just, jump back on the first plane back to New York and get out of town. And like, who do I think I am? And like, let me get, let me escape and let me get out of here. Right. Um, and that doesn't go away, man. It's just the, who's going to, you're, you're, you're finding a way to, you've, uh, you've, you've, you've processed why you feel this way. You've made some great connections to other um, uh, people who have coaches and, and, and how you can improve somebody's skill, even if you've never done what, 
what they do exactly. And we all have our like little right. tricks, but man, that thing is uh, from my experience, I mean, anybody who tells me they're not afraid or they're not afraid of anything or like, I just think that person's so, so full of shit. I can remember doing a presentation once and uh, I guess somebody liked it. And they said to me after they're like, I can't believe you can talk in front of 200 people and, and not be afraid. And I'm like, oh, well, th thanks for saying that, but I can't believe you, you thought that I wasn't afraid because I was terrified. And I'm like, because it's scary. And what if they think I'm stupid? And what if the ideas don't resonate? And what if people, and you start to go through all these, like, you know, it's called, uh, my coach calls it destructive imagination. You start to, your destructive imagination takes over. Like, what if people walk out? What if they revolt? What if they like start throwing things? I mean, it's like all those things. Right. And we, uh, we, we get, we get past it because it, there's impact on the other side of it. If we can, if we can persevere. Right. Right. Can I add one thing real quick, please? The, the one thing that I, I, I tell my young people that uh, I'm responsible for, there's this African proverb, um, and it goes like this. Uh, once you are able to deal with the enemy within, the enemy outside can do you no harm. And Love a it. lot of this fear, this anxiety, this is, it's not outside, it's inside. And mm -hmm. so once we are able to deal with in that battle, and it's like what you said, that, that's an everyday battle. It, mm -hmm. You know, that dragon is bringing his cousins and brothers and everything else. <laughs> and you're slaying that dragon every day. And sometimes you fail. And then you still got to get up the next day because it's still coming. And so yeah. once you deal with that inside, the, those, when, when, I can, when I can quiet those voices inside my head, Man, I, I, outside's nothing. Mm. Outside's nothing. Edward, I think you just got my therapist fired. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we got Edward starting a school and a therapy practice <laughs> all here tonight. Edward, we're going to do a rapid fire piece okay. here because you might be our most unique guest we've ever had. So all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start throwing things at you that, that we know about you or that at least – We've heard about you, and you got to tell me, and in, in as, as succinctly as possible, if this thing is true or why. And so I'm going to start here. You say you don't own a cell phone. Is this true? And 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 if so, why not? Because uh, I heard you earlier talking about Ed Sheridan since 2016. It was like mere amateur. You're talking about <laughs> your man's over here, 2008. Three's the last time I had a cell phone. Why don't you have one? Rapid I, fire. Why not? I don't have anybody to call. <laughs> I don't have. To, I ain't got nobody to call. I go to work and I go home. <laughs> That's where I'm at. There's no one to call. All right. You ride a motorcycle in Wisconsin in the winter, which is bonkers to me. Is this oh true? God. And how cold will you will you go? So th th this is what you have to do. Uh, probably about, I, I did a couple of 40 degree days, which on that bike is probably zero with that yeah. wind chill. Um, it, it, like the snow and ice, obviously it's, it's not coming out, but uh, it gets about 45, 50. I, I start, my knees starts twitching, my hands. I got to get out. My wife is like, and I'm just like, just give me the word. I'm out there, baby. Just tell me. <laughs> All right. I love it. Um, you're a marathoner. How many marathons have you run? I have run six. I was supposed to run one every year 
from my 40s on. Some things happen, but I'm trying to finish up uh, 50 this year. Uh, trying to do one last one with uh, Terrence Johnson. Uh, he agreed to that he was going to run a uh, good young brother. Now, the one thing my wife is telling you, you're going to die. Because she's like, how old is he? I was like, well, he's going to be 30. It's like, you're 50. You're going to run with a kid? And I was like, yeah. It's like, okay. So. Um, well, good luck. Uh, I know Terrence. Uh, tell, him to, tell him to take it easy. But I have a feeling with what I know about you that He's gonna be. He's gonna be the one sucking wind. Um, okay. You you live in Wisconsin, but you hate the Packers. Why is that? That seems to me. I I don't know many Wisconsinites who hate the Green Bay Packers. Why do you? Well, remember, I I, I didn't step foot in this uh, state till I was twenty eight years old. And the other thing is, I'm a I'm a I'm a true hater. And so I've lived in different places, and everywhere I go, I hate the play, the team that I was at. I, I went to school in Louisiana. I used to love the Saints. Ah, when I was there, I hate the Saints. Uh, when I lived in the District of Columbia, I used to love the team formerly known as the Washington football team. I said, and I got there, and I hate them. But I hated the Packers before I got here. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's twofold. One is I – Dr. Vance knows I, I grew up in Waukegan. So then I'm close enough to Chicago. You're going to be a Bears fan, even though I don't, not a Bears fan. Um, but the other thing, is, it's kind of how, how things change, how they stay the same. I had Ray Rhodes is the reason why I really don't like the, uh, the Packers. And that goes to the black coaches. This was, I think, 98, 99. Mm -hmm. And the way that they did Ray Rhodes, he went eight yeah. and eight. And they fired him. And I'm talking mm -hmm. to this guy who's he's a long he's a lifelong Washington fan. I'm there. Neither one of us has been in Wisconsin. And we are arguing if he should or should not have been fired. And so that's where that's where it stems from. Besides just being a hater. Got it. I love it. Um, you are a, a, a huge baseball fan. Um, yes. I believe a Houston Astros fan, which we've yes. talked at different points about mm -hmm. your Astros fandom versus my Yankees fandom. Where does the love of baseball? And you, by the way, for folks who don't know Edward, he brings up the Houston Astros every other every other um, sentence or so. Yes. Uh, he mentions the he mentions the Astros. Well, where does the love for baseball come from? The, the love for baseball actually comes that is that's historical that's that's black history that is seldom spoken about this mm. concept and they in here they're doing uh, uh, another uh, uh, night out with the you got this young uh, this young guy who's an older guy Dennis Biddle who was a Negro leaguer and he's kind of the ambassador and so then I talk to kids and I have a black baseball poster up about the Negro leagues and uh, uh, the, the catalyst uh, Abe Root Foster mm. and uh, how this was a league that rivaled it, it rivaled as far as ability, the major leagues. And this is a part of history. So now, you know, these kids don't, they, most of the kids of African descent have, have nothing to do with baseball. And it's like, this is a part of your history. This was the national pastime. This was the sport that all black folks, this was uh, the one that was going on beforehand. And then a deeper question is, did uh, Jackie Robinson help? Mm -hmm or hurt 
Mm. You know, with a because a that didn't happen when a Brute Foster because he knew the plan, and that plan happened, and there goes uh, Jackie Robinson went, and there goes the Negro Leagues. Uh, got it. So the so the 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 assertion here, not even necessarily by you, but just like philosophically, is that Robinson could have actually hurt Black Americans' uh, cause by integrating or to integrate Major League Baseball because it led to the end of the, end of the Negro Leagues? Is that, is that what a, folks were saying? Abreu Foster's whole idea was this. You're not going to piecemeal. You're not going to kill us by a thousand paper cuts. We want to be absorbed into it as whole. And mm. keep it not now in, in uh, black baseball, not all the teams were black owned. Some of them were, but we were going as an entity. And no, no, the whole you, league, the right. whole league was going to be absorbed and you were going to have black ownership and black management and mm. black teams. And so what happened, a past the, the leadership, wasn't up to stuff and and they sold out to the highest dollar and there goes Larry Doby there goes uh Jackie Robinson Satchel Page was too old at that time uh and in peace and peace and peace and then all of a sudden the Negro Leagues are they're nothing and the, those those from my research those fans used to rival the the money that was brought in to the black areas, because remember, this is the height of Jim Crow, right? And to those areas was tremendous. And they used to go back and forth playing uh, Major League Baseball teams. And uh, from as far as my research goes, it, it, it was pretty much even split. They would win a game, they would lose a game. They would win a game, they would lose a game. And so that's, that's the point of it is that is history. And, and so some uh, you, you can take it broader. Some of the issues, like I was talking about the black coaches, we, we have Brian Flores' uh, dispute. You have David Cully of the Houston Texans who had nothing to work with, got four and ten, had some. Nothing, nothing. So some wins and then you get fired. And so this idea that maybe there should be some ownership and, and, and maybe we need to take a, advantage of these minds and not be taking advantage of where you have to now sue for respect that you still might or might not get. Mm. Wow. Um, I never heard that. Um, thank you for, for educating me on that. I had no idea that that was uh, like a counter narrative and, and even a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, there is no, uh, there, we're going to go a little lighter here because we're still staying with Edward and all your okay. kind of uniqueness. You are, I am a huge cheesecake fan. It's my favorite right. dessert. You are a cheesecake maker and eater from right. what we understand. What's your, what's your, how'd that happen? And what, uh, what's your best cheesecake flavor? Uh, the best cheesecake flavor is plain. I don't know okay. why you would want to defile the the most perfect food <laughs> that has that has come from God's hands with, with strawberries or chocolate or any other mm. kind of nonsense. Key lime. Key lime, Key lime is the one I have. 
Yeah. Oh man. See, I love key lime, I love cheesecake, but not both together. <laughs> but uh <laughs> so this is I, I don't like cheese, which is part of the reason why I don't like the Packers. Uh so I don't like cheese. And I and I was an ignorant kid. I didn't know anything. We one Christmas, mom brought all these uh pies and I ate through the lemon meringue, which was my favorite at the time, and the apple and the the uh the sweet potato, not pumpkin, sweet potato. All right. And so the last thing was the cheesecake. And I was like, I don't like, and I don't know. I, I don't like cheeseburgers. I don't like macaroni and cheese, whatever. So, and I took one slice of cheesecake and uh, that was, I was born again. That was my first day on earth. And I, <laughs> I was breathing and the, the colors were vivid. And it was like, it, I, I was going to make a horrible joke, but I'm not because this is a podcast. So, <laughs> uh, but it, it was just like, what? This is, this is manna from God. What is how this? often do you, how often do you eat cheesecake? How often? I, I, I have an addictive. Don't tell me every day. No, Don't no, tell I me have, every single day. I have an addictive personality. Uh, I can't there because there will be no marathon. Uh, that's part of the reason why there hasn't been a marathon the last couple of years. So I have to, I have to quarter myself off to, I'll, I'll probably make two, two a year, two a year, two a year. And, uh, that's all I can handle. I, you know, when you're old, you get to understand what your strengths and weaknesses. My weakness is cheesecake and pop tarts. I can't do it. I can't do it because I can't stop. <laughs> you lost me at Pop Tarts. Uh, oh Edward, I am <laughs> I'm blown away that you love something so much and you're able to be disciplined enough to do it only twice right. a year, considering the uh, experience you have. But last last Edward question specific to you question about um about some of uh some of these unique aspects of your personality. You say that the dog whisperer has had a tremendous impact on your career. How is that? I, I believe Cesar Milan is one of the greatest educators known to mankind. Um, the, the one thing, if we go back to the part when I was actually serious and not making jokes, where the, the first thing in his tagline, what he says is, I train humans, I rehabilitate dogs. And it's like that. Just think about that concept with all our young people with their pain that they're going through. What happens if we go with that mentality? First of all, let me bring you back to health, because that's mm. part of the problem. This the second part is he 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 has his systems, rules, boundaries, limitations, and he, and he tells people the the you have no structure set up. Mm. And you're blaming the dog. And it's not the dog. It's you. And that's mm. the other thing. It's, it's like education. These kids, these kids, these kids. Who's uh, what he calls the pack leader? Who's the pack leader? They're following. I mean, either what he says, look, either you lead them or they will lead you. And a, a lot of times when you look at, I'm sure you all can attest, when you look at some of these um classrooms that lack management no one has taken the reins and so with with those i call them caesar milan isms and 
being the pack leader and his his concept of calm, assertive energy. And that mm. was because I was a yeller. Because I, I, I grew up and I saw Lean on Me and I saw Crazy Joe Clark and I thought that's what education was. I thought that you had to get in your face and you had to scream and yell and stuff. And so the same thing that you saw on the sports field, I took into the classroom. And so until I got a note from a student who told me that she was scared of me, that her parents don't even talk to her like that. And I was like, I got to change. I could because this is a kid. I am harming this kid. I'm here. You know, again, I'm, I'm thinking of the, all the great things I'm doing. I'm harming a kid, a kid that I wasn't never I would never yell at. I'm yelling at somebody else. But she's the one that's being traumatized. And then Caesar Milan comes, common assertive energy. You ain't, that's not how you control. That's not strength. That's weakness. Mm. And so you be, now you be, you're assertive. You don't let stuff, you know, you, you, you acknowledge it and you uh, bring it to the fore and you, and you make it known that that's not appropriate, but you don't have to act all crazy. And your and, and, and the dog's energy is, is is just reflecting your energy you go into a class where people are talking loud and crazy and then you you see the teacher and it's like okay well they're following the lead and so those those are some of the nuggets that i got from season one i love it man uh i couldn't agree more i don't know if our listeners at home can hear edward's got this like east coast accent that peaks out every (laughs) once in a while which uh it doesn't make sense to me that you're an Astros fan. We got two more questions for you, but but uh, uh, while we're on these last two questions, think about coming over to the Yankees team, man. We can we can use uh, some Richardson some Richardson energy over here. I could never. I mean, I just <laughs> I, I I'm not going to say I would vote I would cheer for the Packers first because I wouldn't. I might cheer for Notre Dame before I would cheer for the no way. The, one of the greatest days of my life is sending you all home year after year. Oh, I love it. Because <laughs> I got a good friend, a Yankee friend, and he's just cheaters. And I was like, cheaters, winners, what's the difference? All right. Well, I guess uh, you thought about it. I, I, respect, your, I respect your answer. Um, two more questions, Edward. You got yes, a couple sir. more minutes to hang out with us? Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what are what are educators getting right in in twenty twenty two? We've had a, a bumpy, you know, few years. What what are folks getting right this year? I, I think the, the one thing that we're getting right and it's kind of been bubbling the last couple of years is this whole SEL movement, this social emotional learning. I and I and I think that that is. I think that needs to be on level with the academics because I, I don't know what good your education is. If you can, uh, if you can uh, solve a quadratic equation, but you hate yourself, what have you learned? What are, what are we doing? If, if, if you don't like who you are, but you can, you can, write this seven page paper over over whatever you're writing about you know this is the piece that that we're missing we're we're not educate we're we're not programming robots we're raising young people we're raising they're spending more time with us than 
than they are with their parents. So we are responsible and we got to teach them that. And so the, 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 the statistic that we don't, we always talk about the uh, homicide rate. The one thing that we don't talk about in America is the suicide rate. And the suicide rate, if you look at those numbers, the suicide rate is always three times more than the homicide rate. Now, there's things that go with that, of course. But I, again, if you can deal with that African proverb, if you can, if you're able to deal with the enemy within the enemy outside can do you no harm. And if we're not teaching that, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're just, we're plug and play, but these are humans. Mm. Edward, last question, man. We'll get you out of here on this. If you could change, give, give us one sentence here. If you could change one thing in urban ed in 2022, what would it be? One thing that I would like to change is debunking the myth of black inferiority. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I think it's being propagated and it's being promoted with this fictitious, made up uh, achievement gap. Because mm. that achievement gap only applies to black and white. Yeah. We don't. What, what's the achievement gap between Asian and white? What's the achievement gap between uh, Latino and black? What's the achievement gap between Asian and Latino? What about Native Americans? Oh, we don't even talk about them. Black and white. The black kids ain't look. They're this many times uh, uh, worse off than white students. And so then you're promoting this. You're. This is promotion. This is propaganda. Mm-hmm. And so then you got it in your mind because what we know is, is we're, we're educators. We're logical thinkers. One plus one is two everywhere. A, then B, then C everywhere. So if that's what we, we know, why are some kids learning and other kids aren't? There, there, there's, there's an African, I'm going to stop with this. There's uh, another uh, African saying. When the corn don't grow, you don't blame the corn. Yeah. And we're blaming yeah. the corn. Yeah, I mean, look, that's right up, that's right up our alley here at Skyrocket. Um, and it's mostly black students, but it, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, in reference to every student who's in a school that we partner with. And by the way, all the schools we don't partner with, um, we're talking about what kids can't do. And we see tons of evidence that this is about the adults, not tons of evidence, all the evidence that it's about the adults um, and not that there aren't real challenges for kids in lots of places there are and not that it's might be harder to educate kids in X place versus Y place because of external factors. It might be, I don't know, but we see, we see teachers and leaders all over the place that could be doing more. And, and I love that. Like when the corn don't grow, we don't, we don't blame the corn. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what's happening in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Edward, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. We appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us and your energy. And um, I think we got two new careers for you. Again, start your own school, <laughs> the Richardson Academy and your own uh, therapy. Um, or maybe it's even cheesecake. Uh, you should go to Cheesecake uh, Factory or something like that. Right, 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 right. Well, and you brought up, you, you brought up Lean on Me. Lean on Me to me. Vance, have you ever seen the movie Lean on Me? I have, yes. That to me has one of the top 10 greatest scenes in movie history. Do, do you all, can you all guess what, what scene I'm going to bring up? There's so many. I There's so many. <laughs> right. I, can I do the impression? Maybe is. This might be off, but this is my. You smoke crack, don't you? 
<laughs> it kills your brain, son. Son, it kills your brain cells. That was uh, thinking about. Is that the scene you were talking about, Michael? It is not, Stacy. Our producer, <laughs> Stacy, hop off mute. Tell her. Tell her. Uh, I was thinking, Miss Levias. Yo, go. Yeah, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say Miss Levias, where she like let Mr. Clark have it in her office. Oh no, no, no! It does have to do with Miss Levias, Stacy. What's the scene that I'm Which talking about? It? It is the bathroom scene where oh. they sing the school song. Yeah. That scene to me, Stacy, thank you. That scene to me, every time, chills, chills my entire body. Uh, and uh, Morgan Freeman uh, storming into the music teacher's room. Is that Mr. Vias? No, that's the assistant principal, right? That's assistant principal, yeah. yeah. Why don't you sing the song? Yeah, you want to sing, you want to sing the East Side song right now? No. We'll get to We've officially right. gone off the rails, folks. For Antonio Vance and the team at Skyrocket. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep on rocking. This was Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Sign up for our mailing list at wewillskyrocket.com. Look out for our next episode.